The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. What's going on over there? Hi. I'm not really sure. Hey, guess what it, What day it is? Again? Yeah. Hump day! There you go. <laughs> I slid down instead of sliding oh, up. Oh, you know what? Sorry so many that. buttons to do one task. It's sort of like the city. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had a text from your lovely bride this morning. Uh, what did she say? She says, it's so close I can almost taste it. Oh, I remember when I used to generate that kind of enthusiasm with that woman. Now she's referring to a tree. Mm. The one that's in front of our house right oh, now. Oh, gosh. Maybe the final chapter in this story. Uh, possibly it is. Uh, work not complete. Uh, and I don't mean to, uh, you know, mock further the work of the men and women of the city of Edmonton. But the tree, the hole was dug. The tree was placed. Uh, but as of, uh, well, we'll say about 1230, they'd not filled in the hole. Mm. So I'm not sure... That's a different crew, don't really know. But looking at everyone else's trees, um, they seem to get the hole filled in. Uh, They seem to get some kind of wood chip thing around it and uh, a couple of wires holding it up. It might just be a game with them right now. At this point, um, I'm actually... What are they going to say on the radio today about this? Yeah, I'm sort of on the verge of paranoid (laughs) because uh, I went out for the coffee this morning, as I do every morning, saw the crews working on the street. Now, working on both sides, but not at my house. But I thought, well, there's no way they're going to skip me. When I came back, one of my neighbors uh, was talking to the same city guy who had rang my doorbell yesterday Mm. to tell me they wouldn't be back for two to three weeks. Now, this neighbor and I don't get along. along. So as I was getting out of my car with my coffee and readying my camera to take a picture and tweet, um, the neighbor pointed at me and the city worker looked over. So again, my wife said, there's a lot of things in that line of vision. They could have mm-hmm. been pointing at, uh, well, where does the street end? Or do you know the best place to find eggs? I mean, it could have been anything, but it happened to be... Where's the Max Milk store? Right. Uh, do you, re- you remember where I left my shovel? It could have been any kind of question that ended up in a point in my direction. But, of course, my paranoid brain came up with the city worker asking, which one's Andrew? So we'll see. I'm sure, I'm sure it looked like I got a pretty good tree. There weren't teeny tiny trees that I was expecting. No, I was uh, I was a little surprised by that too. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing what they probably want to do is try to match them with the rest of the trees that that didn't die. Yeah, I, I, and yeah. in the neighborhood. Exactly. So, so um, you know, as I tweeted out this morning, I, I want to thank the thousands of men and women that made this possible and their hard work <laughs> over this past <laughs> three years. Because mm. uh, well done, and I mean that with I, I don't. I didn't mean for there to be a taste of sarcasm in that. I Oh yes, you did. Well, I, I yeah, might you did. Have, Come yeah. on, it's been sarcasm all week. <laughs> you don't 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 kid a kidder. <laughs> I'm efforting uh, to get a city councilor in uh, perhaps tomorrow um, to sort of discuss not my tree. Um, oh, your tree will come up. It will, for sure. That's probably the jumping off. That's point. kind of the yeah. Like let's right. start here. I, I want to give every listener the opportunity to vent about their own situation. Mm, I'm sure they'll be thrilled to listen to that. Sure, and I want to, you know, I want to maybe, balance that conversation should, with a response. How can we better, instead of just venting, right. what can be done better? What are your yeah. ideas to do better? And and what 
to the counselors, what do you think needs to be done? Right, and, and what are the you misconceptions, right? So, you know, in my mind, if I tell, and as I say, it's jumping off point, but if I get a counselor in here or two uh, tomorrow, and if it's not, you know, if I'm not able to put it together for tomorrow, I'll put it together for next week. I'm going to do it no matter what. But maybe the jumping off point after the tree is... Um, what are the misconceptions about how the city works? I mean, mm-hmm. I say there was 15 crews to put a tree in. Um, now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to back off on that claim. That's what it was. And actually, if there's a different crew that puts the wood chips in, 16. But still, if there's a reason to justify that, great. Tell me what the reason is. And if there's, and if that's simply not true, if I didn't understand what was going on. If it maybe it's the same crew that comes back and they have to wait a week or, or whatever. But it's still it's 15 different visits to your it house. It was yeah. for sure that. So, mm. and well, you know, we can ask, people can ask about their own problems, you know, like how, what does it take to get your back lane paved? What does it someone, take to get a pothole fixed? Someone texts and says, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, yeah, but it took a long time. I, it, t- it did. And you know, I, I go back to, yeah. to to the road issue and then that was taken care of with some phone calls and some, yeah. and go straight to the city council, which was amazing on behalf of an entire neighborhood. It happened pretty quickly, but again, it was an entertainment process for you for a while. It was, and that's the thing. I know I posted on Facebook last night um, and basically that was the text of the letter that I had uh, sent to my counselor and then a lot of people commented on it and still commented on it but a couple of the comments were well what do the rest of us do who don't have a radio show and, and I pointed out it I didn't use the radio show the information about the tree and the stories about the tree were meant as entertainment for our listeners but yesterday I blinked and that's what I said in my post yesterday I actually got mad because it was getting ridiculous. And at that point, I did reach out to my counselor and I did reach out to the city on their Twitter handle. So what I do want to know, though, because I was trying to see, and you kept asking me, why don't you write your counselor? And I kept saying, because I want to see how this turns out. And I did want to see how it turns but out. But again, you know, I think the important thing is, is that your city councilor is not necessarily going to know about right. the minutia, even right. though you think that they should know that's going right. on in your neighborhood. Um, and all of your city councilors, folks, you can find them on, oh, on Twitter, on Facebook, or call their office, the sure. numbers in the phone book, and yep. make that complaint. Or you go to their website and, and uh, email something in. Right. It can be done. Absolutely. And that's one of the questions I want to... The, the two things I really want to work out with the councilor are... Um, how often do citizens actually approach you and what happens when that happens, right? But the other question, because I, I, like I say, yeah, Squeaky Wheel got the tree. It's true, but I would like to know would I have got the tree anyways if it didn't have a radio show? Yeah, like, I'd like to know the what the tree. average guy, yeah, I would have. I would have liked to have known when it was going to happen, mm-hmm. right? But the other question I'm, I'm sort of curious about as well, do you know how, um, you know, MLAs in the, in the provincial government, they represent a particular um, area, right, a riding, but many of them also hold uh, portfolios like finance mm-hmm. minister or minister of agriculture, whatever. I'd like to know why the city doesn't do that. Why... And, and I, I know that there's committees that oversee various departments, and the council itself oversees all departments. But there's city councilors that sit on those specific committees as well. Right, but the word committee bothers me. So, <laughs> what I would, what I wonder is, for the major portfolios like Parks and Rec and and the streets and you know whatever, why there isn't sort of like a minister. Why isn't one of the councilmen specifically in charge of that department? Well, because they have a zillion other things to take care of. There is someone in charge of that department already, and then there would be councillors that sit on that. Right, And but if you use the provincial model, there's somebody in charge of every department. Do you think there. the provincial model is working well? 
Well, it has worked uh, as best it can in the past, right? So the deputy minister is typically in charge of the department, then the minister oversees the deputy minister's work, right? And I just wonder why. Yeah, I get that there's somebody in charge of every department, but I think it would be great if instead of waiting for a citizen in a particular ward to complain to their ward, to their counselor, and then have him look into it, that it have a counselor who was specifically responsible to oversee. So you want one counselor to take care of every transportation issue in the city? I want one counselor to be responsible for making sure that the promises made by that particular department are being kept. I think that's every counselor's responsibility. That's what makes it a problem, though. I think if one specific person, and that's why I say the word committee bothers me, because as soon as you have a committee, it's like you share their irresponsibility. If you have a single person, they have the responsibility. Well, you know, see, we'll get some city councillors on here yep. and ask them the questions yeah, about how it works, exactly. how it should work, how they think it should work, and if they believe it is working efficiently Absolutely. enough. So we can look forward to that, hopefully in the coming days? Sure. Okay. Uh, 2.15 on the 6.30, Chad, afternoon news quick break when we come back um an interview with former u.s president jimmy carter look at you you name dropper 217 on the 630 chat afternoon news uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit here it's been in the news all week that massive habitat for humanity carter work project happening in edmonton uh, former u.s president uh, jimmy carter along with his wife rosalyn are in edmonton to help build 150 homes including 75 in the edmonton area uh, across canada as part of the country's 150th anniversary so again 75 being built in the city of edmonton it's a massive project now earlier today 630 chad morning man bruce Bauer Chris Sheets from Kissin' Country and me had a chance to sit down with the 39th American president to talk about habitat, thanking Canada, and a bit of politics. President Carter, what a thrill, first of all, to meet you. And I kind of hope in a way I'm looking at my future, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> you know, we hear about presidents getting in office and how quickly it ages people. And here you are at 92, and this is the most basic of questions, but what is the secret? Well, I do what my wife tells me to do, <laughs> to start with, and I've had the same wife all, a long time, yeah. as you know, and uh, we have been very lucky with our health. I've had cancer pretty badly, you know, in my liver and my brain, but so far I'm, I'm free of cancer. We check it pretty regularly, and uh, we kind of eat the right thing, we live a good life, and we, and we work hard on habitats. Which keeps us young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. President, my name's Jay Lynn. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'm wondering, when you look around here, when you take a peek to the left and to the right and you see what is happening here and you feel what is happening here, what do you think and how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel very proud of all the workers here. You know, everybody who volunteers for Habitat is kind of a special person. If they weren't special, they wouldn't volunteer. They would just watch other people do their work. And they're dedicated, I think, to helping people who are in need. And uh, we get to know the homeowner families who are our heroes on these, on these jobs. And uh, it makes us have a, a way in a, in a fashion, if we're well off like we are, most of us, to uh, connect with folks that are not so lucky as we are in a very equal way. So I have found in all my 36 years of working on Habitat that uh, the folks that are homeowners that haven't had a, a good house in the, in the past are just as smart as I am and just as hardworking and just as dedicated 
This is ambitious, and the family values are just as good as mine. So it kind of equalizes everybody, but it, it lifts up the ones that are in need. Beautiful. You lead by example. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. It's an honor. Uh, you lead. You lead by example, and uh, and and again, you you we're watching you use the saw, and your your wife observing and making sure that all of those. What do they say? Measure twice, cut once. Is that the that's deal, why right? We, well, yeah. We, that's what we most of the time we do that. Yeah, exactly. When I my wife tells me to, to do yeah, it better. You just keep following the rules, and that makes complete sense. Um, but you lead by example, and now you're mentoring others. I mean, there's thousands of people here in the Edmonton area that are doing just that, and a couple of very special people near and dear to our heart. I work at Kissing Country Radio, and we've known Garth Brooks since he started. And uh, talk about Garth and Trisha and the fact that they now are, you know, following in your footsteps and, and doing this because of what you and your well, wife have done. I would done. say that Garth and Trisha are probably our two best volunteers as far as getting work done. They are dedicated, they're hardworking, they never stop. They can do the biggest jobs. Uh, Garth can lift anything, I think, that a human, another human being could lift. And uh, Trisha doesn't mind get up in the top of the rafters and, and swinging a hammer, you know, and holding on with one hand. I've seen her do some, you know, very courageous things. So they're both precious volunteers, and they, and they set an example for everybody around them. Mr. President, let's talk a little bit about the volunteers. Um, okay. I look like I probably spent most of my time sleeping through church services, but there's one or two that I did listen. <laughs> and I remember a pastor saying, preaching on leadership one time, and saying, if you think you're a good leader, the test is look behind you and see, is anyone following? And I thought that's really good advice. We have 850 volunteers here. I mean, I'm asking the man who would know, what, what in your estimation makes a good leader? Well, I think a good leader's gotta be dedicated to his uh, job or whatever it might be, whether you're president of the United States or you know working on a farm like I, I've done most of my life. And um, I think you have to be not only dedicated, but willing to, to go ahead and, and take a chance when you have doubt about success. You need to be able willing to take a chance. You need, you need to, to make sure that what you do is worthwhile and, uh, and just stick to it even when the dif difficulties arise. I'd say those things will make, make a good leader. And the main thing is to believe in what you're doing and, and work hard at it. And then don't don't worry about supervising the people behind you because they'll pretty much follow in your footsteps. If you if you if you set some good footsteps, one them to follow. Awesome. Sir, over the years, I have done a uh, num number of stories on Habitat for Humanity across right. the country in the cities that I have worked in. It has seemed at times there are people who are not supportive of Habitat. We have the not in my backyard type of people, sure. and. I wonder, number one, what you say to those people when we know the good that comes out of projects like this. And number two as well, it seems at times affordable housing isn't on a priority list for numerous levels of government. Why do you think that is and what needs to be done to better address affordable housing in North America, in this country? Why, why isn't it a popular topic? Well, I think because people are not aware of what Habitat does. <clears throat> We've seen in many places where we go back to a, to a site where we built 35 years ago that the Habitat homes are always well kept because the people have done their work on their own house, they're proud of it. And uh, we've never seen a broken window or unmowed lawn or graffiti on the walls of a Habitat project. And most of the times when Habitat moves into a, a dilapidated or poor community, uh, 
people sometimes are uh, averse to having them come in, but then they see the quality of the habitat houses themselves and then see the pride with which their homeowners take care of their homes. And it sets an example, a much higher example for the people who already live there. So quite often habitat surprises people. And for a, a community at large, you take a habitat homeowner family but they have been dependent on public welfare or you know, help from the government, and all of a sudden they become full taxpayers. Uh, they become uh, equal citizens and they, and they have confidence in themselves maybe for the first time. And for many Habitat homeowners, I would say it might be the first time they've ever experienced real success in life. You know, they've tried things that didn't work. They've had people promise them things that didn't come true. And then they work on a Habitat house and we promise them such and such a thing. And, uh, and they see it comes true, and, and they've done it the work themselves. So I think it just changes the attitude of a whole family life. Can I just quickly, what does the government have to do to better address affordable housing? Well, I think government has to do two things. One, we, we've shown some foreign countries how to take advantage of a habitat pattern. Like in Peru, for instance, when we first built homes in Peru, we built 440-something homes. Uh, 13,000 foot altitude and, uh, and uh, on, the, on the border of Lake Titicaca. And the president of, of uh, Peru then watched what we did and he set up a program in, uh, in Peru after we left uh, to provide very low interest rate loans for people, like 2% interest rate. And they could get their ultimate building materials at that, at that low cost. And then he provided uh, experienced builders uh, to teach them how. So the Habitat family quite often worked a whole year to finish their house, but they did all the work themselves. And we've done the same thing in Baltimore, Maryland, and in the United States. So I think we can set a, a high example for governments to see what can be done if, they, if we have confidence in, in the future homeowners. Bruce Bowie, Jalen Nye, and Chris Sheets. The hammers continue to build. They're working behind us. Uh, they really are, and we're going to get you back to work as well. But you talk about people being unsure with exactly what Habitat for Humanity is. And I'll tell you now, uh, there's a lot more people understanding in Edmonton, thanks to you coming. And no disrespect to all of the volunteers here, but when a, a president of the United States comes and he brings some pretty, uh, pretty uh, cool celebrities with him doing the exact same thing, it helps bring it to the forefront, and it's been like the number one story all week long. That's important to happen here in Edmonton and around the world when you do this, right? Well, you know, we, can, we only work five days a year on Habitat full-time, but uh, Habitat goes on the other, other 51 weeks in a year. And so everybody that watches what we do here and, and are inspired by this or encouraged by this to help other people and, and to do something worthwhile and enjoyable, as a matter of fact, uh, can, can volunteer the rest of the time. And whether you just want to sweep floors or whether you actually want to learn how to hammer a nail or, you know, a cut a board or something like that, uh, it's always an exciting, gratifying job. I never have worked on a Habitat project in my life and I didn't come away feeling that I got more out of it than I put into it. And, and sometimes, you know, we're, we're, I'm 93 years old and still still working at it. And a lot, lot slower than I was when I was only 80 years old. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of going downhill, but still... <laughs> get a lot out of it every time. And, and I think everybody that puts in work on Habitat learns that this is worthwhile for the homeowners, but it's, I think the people that volunteer get as much out of it as they put into it. 
Mr. President, I'm not buying that because I came in uh, this morning and they told me that you come in, you put your heart out on you and rolls and you put your head down and you work until quitting time. So I don't think you're slowing down a bit. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Um, I have a quick question to you as well. And, and, and you mentioned you have to limit the number of bills you do now. And we're just so blessed to have you here. Why did you pick Edmonton, Alberta, Canada? Why this one? Well, we go overseas one year and then in the United States the next year. Last year we were in Memphis, Tennessee. Next year we'll be in South Bend, Indiana. And so we kind of cheat on Canada because Canada is just like the United States, but we call it a foreign country. So uh, that's one thing we're always eager to come back to Canada. Uh, the hospitality here is superb. And we had heard about the Edmonton uh, project work, how much they have done already without us. Uh, it's one of the, the finest local habitat organizations that I know of, and uh, and we have not been disappointed at all. And, and I would say that when we get through with this build here, we'll look back on it and say well, it's one of the best we've ever had. And uh, it's because the people in Edmonton work so hard to make habitat a success, you know, whether we're here or not. So we're grateful to the people, all the volunteers that have come here to Edmonton and all the people here in Edmonton who work year-round when we're not here. You've been listening to an interview with former U.S. President Jimmy Carter in town as part of the Habitat for Humanity Carter Work Project, building 75 homes for Habitat for Humanity. We'll continue the conversation after the 2.30 news talking about being a president in tumultuous times, a bit of politics, and why he always thanks Canada when he's here. Can't wait. 2.35 on the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. It's Jay Lynn and Andrew. Interesting conversation the three of you are having with former President Jimmy Carter. Yeah, he's in town as a part of this Habitat for Humanity build. So uh, myself, along with Bruce Bowie and Chris Sheets from Kiss and Country, had a chance to sit down with him this morning once we found the place. Yeah. <laughs> Darn Google Maps failed me this morning. <laughs> well, there was no neighborhood there before. Well, so. there, there is a big neighborhood all around it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Having said that, part two of our interview coming straight up. Um, and in it, he talked about being a president in tumultuous times, a bit of politics. Mm. Donald Trump, and why he always thanks Canada when he's in our country. Almost 35 years ago, we had hostages held in Iran, and the Canadian government and the people in the embassy in Iran showed tremendous leadership, particularly uh, the the ambassador there. Uh, Ken did a a great job there, and the foreign minister... uh, McDonald and, and, and the Prime Minister, uh, Joe Clark, uh, joined in with the whole government and people of Canada in a very secret way. And so I'd say in one of the most emotionally charged and, and uh, challenging time of our life in America, the Canadians came to our rescue. And so I, I just kind of took an oath to myself that whenever I got the, my first chance to speak to a Canadian audience, I would just thank them once more for what they did for us. So we're still grateful to them, and and I I had a chance to thank Joe Clark again, uh, former prime minister who was at the Carter Center in Atlanta uh, last month. And so uh, it just meant a lot to me and to the people of America. I don't think there's ever been a a time in history when one whole people in a country helped boost the spirits of of a troubled, uh, neighborhood country like Canada did to the United States. 
They should have did a movie about that. Oh, I think they did. <laughs> they did a movie about it, which was highly distorted. It was. I was going to ask you about it, your opinion it gave, of the movie. It gave the Americans all the credit when, when they, when they, key guy that played a big part in in uh, in the movie was only there for a day and a half. <laughs> all the work was done and all the planning was done and, and all the courage was shown by the Canadians who are hosts for our six American houses. And you got them out safely, for which we're really grateful. You kind of like the three of us on this side of the microphone taking credit for this project. We've, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've been here for an hour and a half, same kind of idea. Well, you're welcome to come back after work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring our wives with us. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thank you, President Carter. We accept your, your thanks with, uh, with gratitude. There's a border between us, I know, but we're brothers, uh, north, north to south. Well, good luck to you all. Well, thank, thank you very you. much for coming. Thank you. I have uh, another question for you here. You, you've spoken about um, those who receive these houses and and you talked about them getting a key and getting a bible right and and it sounds like it's more than bricks and mortar that you build into these people's lives could you speak a bit to that as well well it's the beginning of a new quality of life for the homeowner and uh, it's a time of completing a major project by the volunteers and every time rose and i have given the homeowner the key and the bible and, uh, and they, they realize for the first time in their life that they have a home of their own and they can be proud of their home instead of ashamed of a rented place. Uh, we get emotional about it. And quite often I cry, literally, uh, when we have that ceremony. And sometimes even when I describe it to the news media, I get emotional as well. See, it means so much to me to see a life transformed for the better. And that's what Habitat does. It transforms lives for the better, for people in need who are really worthy, as we are, to have the blessings of life. I, I hear, too, that you stay in touch with a lot of the people that you've given these homes to. Uh, is, there a, is there a story that comes to mind about somebody whose life really turned around that uh, you can relate? Well, uh, I think one of the families for which we built uh, one of 293 homes in one week in the Philippines always comes to mind. Uh, these were very small houses. They were just 300 square feet, 30 square meters, which is about the size of an average American living room. And the whole house was that size. And we, we worked side by side with uh, a wo woman who had two dollars. $2. And uh, she, when she came in our house and saw it for the first time, just a frame built, uh, she, she cried. And I didn't know why. And I asked her where she had been living, and she said, well, I and my daughters have been living in an abandoned septic tank. Oh. Every night we crawl in this septic tank and, and cover the top over with a sheet of plastic, and so we'll, we're having a great transformation in our, house, in our home by living in a house with a roof on it mm -hmm. for a change. Well, that is a kind, that's the kind of uh, you know, experiences that we have almost everywhere we go. Thank you again. Mr. President, uh you talk about the Bible, and we know that deeply religious man, and I think part of that has brought you here and being involved with Habitat for Humanity and this project that, that you've been involved with. I was watching a documentary last night on CNN called The 70s, and we know that you were president during a very tumultuous time in history. There was a lot going on. Um, and at that time, you had the opportunity to go on television and speak to Americans and tell them what you thought and give them some guidance. And I know now that you're doing that at Sunday school, you're doing it, um, you know, when you're up 
talking to a congregation. What do you tell Americans and human beings in general now? Because I think the world is still in a very tumultuous time. What do you tell them about dealing with the world that we are living in right now? You know, I, I quote often uh, my favorite uh, school teacher, Miss Julia Coleman. In fact, I quoted her when I was inaugurated president and when I got the Nobel Peace Prize both times. I think I'm the only president ever mentioned a former school teacher in his inaugural address. But anyway, what Miss Judy used to tell us children in the rural community where I grew up was we, we must accommodate changing times but cling to principles that never change. And, and I think in a troubled political era or when economics are bad or when we have setbacks in life, we, we need to remember that. We, we have to, you know, be flexible enough to, to deal with changing circumstances over which we have no control. But there are certain principles in life that we, that we should always uh, honor. And I would say that those principles, for me at least, are set in the Christian faith. You know, when we emulate the example set for us, the perfect example by Jesus Christ, uh, those are the principles that never change. You know, honesty, uh, truthfulness, uh, humility, service to others, justice, peace. Those are the things that make life worthwhile, and, and they never vary from one generation to another, although our circumstances of life might vary. So accommodate changing times with flexibility, but think to principles that never change. How close do you follow what's going on in the world politically? Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think close enough. I, I, you know, we keep up with the news, and, and, and I'm involved remotely now to, to the political world. Uh, we're, uh, my whole family are pretty much Democrats, and none of us voted for President Trump. But when he was elected uh, as a Republican, uh, I decided we would, should go to his inauguration. So mm -hmm. my wife and I went up to the inauguration, and, and we had a chance then to meet with the key members of his cabinet. You know, the, foreign, the, the Secretary of uh, Foreign Affairs, the Secretary of Defense and so forth, and the, and, the, and the head of social services, and who happened to be from Georgia. And so we got acquainted with all of them, and we still work side by side with them whenever possible, even though we disagree with some of the basic policies. So there again, we're accommodating changing times, <laughs> but hopefully cling to principles that don't change. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank very you, much. Mr. President. President Jimmy Carter. Sat down with the three of us this morning for a little chat. There's a seasoned uh, politician. Politician, isn't he, though? Yeah. Good answers, never sounded evasive, didn't seem to be sticking to a script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those, <laughs> you don't become president of the United States with anything but excellent communication well, skills. It, it got to the end point. Oh, is that was, true? Wait. Oh, no, never I'm mind. not so sure about yeah, that. I forgot but about the last guy. But at 92 years of age, mm -hmm. 92 years of age, still out there cutting wood, uh, him and his wife, you know, hammering hammering away. It's uh, fascinating to watch mm -hmm. them and to find something that uh, you're still that passionate about so many years later. They say they only do it once a, once a year, mm -hmm. but still, that's a big project well, once at a year age. is uh, one more yeah. time than 99% of the population. And, you know, so. Edmonton's a... A far cry from Plains, Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no Georgia. kidding. It's interesting. I know a lot of people texting us and asking us uh, how it works, but in in a nutshell, the families um, donate their own sweat uh, labor, mm-hmm. their sweat equity to build a home. Um, but there is there is no profit associated with it, so therefore the cost is quite low with the help of volunteer tradesmen. So they do buy the house. They they have a mortgage. They have a mortgage, yeah. right? And they pay that mortgage, but that money then goes into a rotating fund, which helps mm-hmm. others. Uh, you know, to purchase materials to buy more houses, to build more houses. This build in Edmonton is the second biggest build ever really? in the world, in the history of the habitat. Wow, that's yeah. fabulous. So lots of lots of volunteers, over about 1,400 volunteers a day out mm-hmm. there, including Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I understand you got to meet Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Brooks. Nah. Didn't get a picture, though, eh? No. So no pic, didn't happen. No. You were scared, weren't you? You were scared. You were Bruce, too shy. Bruce Bowie was with me. We had finished the interview with uh, the president, mm. and we left. And next thing you know, we were kind of standing out in this little area, and I looked over, and I said, hey, there's Garth Brooks and Trish Yearwood. And I looked at Bruce. I said, do you think we can go over there? He says, I don't know. And I said... Well, I gathered all my gumption up and said, mm-hmm. well, let's go. So we walked over to this little paddock area where walked. they were. Kind of <laughs> yeah. shimmy. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow I walked right up to him. He was done talking to someone. I walked right up to him and turned around. And he looked at me and says, hi. I'm like, hi. <laughs> he first bumped <laughs> me. And I said, hi. And he said, uh, first off, what's your name? And I said, Jaylen. He says, Miss Jaylen, I'm Garth. This is Miss Yearwood. It's a pleasure to meet you. And she's like, it's Trisha. <laughs> and so they came out from around the side mm-hmm. and Bruce and I were talking to them. And Bruce said, you know, I introduced you here on your very first concert way back when. We got talking a little bit. Then I was getting all teary. <laughs> yeah, teary. Teary. Because, and I, and I said to him, I said, I just want to thank you for, for the music over the past 20, 30 years. You've been a soundtrack to a huge part of my life and my family's life. Because not only am I a huge fan, but my, my brother's a huge fan. My parents are a huge fan. My brother's wedding, all of the music, the, the first dance, the, the parents' dance, the... All of that was Garth Brooks. Huh. So lots of great memories there. And then he just said, oh, that's so sweet. Gave me a hug. Oh. Gave me a hug. I got a big Garth hug. So you may never wash that uh, body no. again. And he says, you smell good. Oh. And I said, well, I haven't been working. And then he got dragged <laughs> away. And then he was gone. And more importantly, uh, I'm like, Bye. How, how did he smell? Um, just nice. Yep. Yeah. So um, like, uh, you know, lumber. Did you? Know, you that sort of stuff. But I, I didn't have the nerve to ask him for sure, a picture. My phone was in my pocket. Yeah. Didn't have the nerve. And if you had, somebody would have handed Put a it finger back. Right. It, it would have been blurry or whatever. Um, last question for you. I mean, I, I'm more interested. I am interested in knowing the process that, you know, surrounding this interview and, and you know, if there was secret service there and that kind of thing. Yes. But I do want to ask you one question, if, you, if we have time or we take the break and then you can answer. But in speaking with the president, the former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, and in speaking with um, Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. did you ask if either of them were attracted to Edmonton as a result of us, uh, our new rebranding efforts to <laughs> rename the city Edmonton with the Maple Leaf? Maple Leaf, period. Yeah, did any of them say, I wasn't going to come, but then I saw what you've done here, and I jumped no. on the next plane. Did None that... of us asked the question. Oh, see, that's why I should have been there. That would have been I'm my only sure question. I'm not sure if anyone, if they're in, big into cycling, you know. Right. I would have I would have printed out the new slogan, the new word mark, with the, and I would have flipped it around and put them on the spot and said, what do you think of this? 
And then and Jimmy Carter would probably have a great answer. And Garth Brooks would hug it's you. It's no Plains, Georgia, <laughs> word mark. Yeah, it should be a peanut. That's what he would say. You should add a peanut. So Andrew Gross, just you know, quickly, we had yeah. 30 minutes for that interview, the three of us. Between the three of you, The okay. three of us. And they cut it at 24 for some reason. Yeah, they do that. They're like, last question. I'm like, oh, come on. Well, you asked about politics. Nope, time's up. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Oh, someone brought up Trump. We had to talk now. But um, I liked how he addressed it. But I had one more question that I wanted to ask him, and I was just telling you about that. My question to him would have been, you know, President, Nobel Peace Prize winner, if you've brokered peace deals, you're humanitarian, you're um, an author, you've run a Grammy for spoken word, Um, you're so involved in this, you've been building homes, you know, all around the world. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, when you talk about legacy as a whole that's mm-hmm. a that's a huge great legacy but if there was one is it being married to the same woman for 72 years yeah, and having a great yeah. love and that was the other part you know i would have loved to have got into that as well because when you read about them and about their relationship it's it's a quite a fascinating read as well and and regret do you have a regret that would have been a great question i would have been very interested in the answer i know you, you're limited by time and and you thought you guys you guys thought you had six have more another minutes round right more. For sure, because and you and I were just talking about this off the air, that uh, many people refer to his legacy to be the work he did after mm-hmm. he was president, that, that that's where he really rose up and shone. So we used that exposure um, as having been president to do some really great things, but a lot of people would suggest that he didn't accomplish a lot of great things while president. It was it was it was really tough times. It was you know Nixon, Ford, then him, following yeah. all of all of that. There was the energy crisis in the United States, gas. People were lining up for yeah. hours, if not days, for, for gasoline. That, yeah. The Iran hostages, that that crisis, mm-hmm. what happened there, and how they brokered and tried to negotiate for years and years and years or years. Uh, was it a year? It was over a year, uh, but a very, very long time to get those hostages freed. Right, and then they would. Although wouldn't, his successor, yeah, it, they, they, well, they wouldn't free them until he was out of the office. So right. he was on the phone till the very last minute until he had to get out of the office, and then as soon as the the captors knew that he was gone, they. You know, they, so it wasn't yeah. under him. Right. That's weird. But you look at all of that and, yeah, and stay true to this tiny little place that his family is from for, you know, decades and decades back, back Plains, Georgia. And that's where he's still living. Let me ask you a question as an interviewer. I've noticed in those individuals that I've met, and I don't want to embarrass anybody by, because some are local, and I don't want to embarrass anybody by saying names right now or, or have listeners think that I'm just trying to get something off these people. But sometimes I meet really famous entertainers. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. I meet individuals who perhaps are not famous but do great work. They're the heads of corporations. And when you talk to them, you feel their power. You feel their drive. They're just, there's something about them that you know, and maybe it's the confidence that comes with the success they already have had, and maybe they haven't always been that way, but it just feels like sometimes when you're talking to somebody, you go, yeah, I, I can see why this person was successful. I can see how they became president of the United States. Did you get that feeling at all? Well, at 92 years of age, I didn't necessarily get the power that I would have expected mm-hmm. from a president. But again, he's 92 years right. of age. What I did get from him was a real kind gentleness mm. and confidence. Yes. The kindness was where it 
Sean through the most? I mean, never broke eye contact with you when he was talking to you and went from each of us, one to the next to the next, never broke eye contact. Smiling eyes, if you know mm. what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. and very engaged in each question, many of which I'm sure he's answered a million times. Sure, of course. There's uh, only so many different ways to end, ask yeah. basically the same question on top. But there yeah. was not, you know, we didn't, we did not shake hands. Um, he was brought to the table, sat down. We said hello, and then we started, and then he was escorted out uh, for break afterwards. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there was none of that. But she, again, at 92 years of age, having liver cancer, brain cancer, uh, battled that. It's and, and still working hard. Yeah, it's interesting. I just it's something that fascinates me. Yeah, 444 days, so it was just over a year that the hostages were held. Right, that's right. Garth Brooks, for example, you can hear a gazillion stories very similar to the one you just Mm -hmm. told about Garth Brooks, how he asks what your name... In fact, I heard it when he was here in Edmonton at the Media Scrum. Hello, Miss Kirby. Every every reporter, well, hello, Miss... What's your name, right? And then he would refer to them by their name, Uh and there was an approachability, and and there's some part of it. Obviously, he's a talented musician, songwriter but there was a part of you that goes oh i'm so glad that guy's successful because he's such a nice guy right and then there are those individuals who you meet that have not had that same success but they've had some success and as you talk to them you get the impression i think you might be your own worst enemy (laughs) (laughs) i can think of one right off the top yeah i've interviewed a few of them as well yeah yeah and different People handle success for shame all of that very differently yes yeah, and you have to figure it out. Sometimes, sometimes I, it's the right way and sometimes it's the wrong exactly. way. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.